Welcome back to Canberra Conversations with your host Colin Campbell and today is episode 233 of the podcast and I'm joined in conversation by James Higgins. James is the founder of Ethical Betting and Ethical Cam and after retiring from the banking world, James has been on a business and entrepreneurial journey and is best known for his sustainable sleep wizardry with ethical betting. He describes himself as 90% hippie and 10% Tarzan and there's a lot to learn from this episode. You can expect to hear about following your guiding principles to create a business that you actually care about, overcoming early challenges, both financial and supply chain related, identifying a business is viable to go all in on and what it takes to put in the work when sometimes it's getting tough and you really have to rely on what your why really means. We also cover James' experience on BBC Dragon's Den and the pros and cons of appearing on a show like that. Last but certainly no means least, James has a suite of different business ideas that are physical products to digital and even a consumable product as well. And I loved learning about his perspective and the insights on the different requirements that are needed for each of those to be a success. Before we dive into this episode, if you have the ambitions to start, scale and sustain your own podcast and create episodes just like this one, then I've created the perfect learning platform for you, my podcast masterclass. It'll be linked in the show notes and it's a 54 video, nine module course to take you from the very start all the way through to producing podcasts and sharing it with the widest possible audience to support your personal brand, your business, your network, or whatever you truly care about. The podcast is in a really, really special place just now, and I'm so grateful for all the support. So please do make sure you've hit the subscribe or the follow button if you're new here, or if you just haven't done so yet. And we have almost reached 450 five-star ratings on Spotify, which is no mean feat. So if you're one of the people that helped me get towards that, please do navigate your thumb if you're using Spotify and hit the five-star rating. It is a huge help as we push in the right direction. But that's quite enough for me for just now. You've got almost an hour and a half of myself and James Higgins after the music plays. James, welcome to the show. We we made it through all the different time zone challenges, the technical difficulties, and we're ready to rumble. Let's do it. Let's do it. Better, better late than never, as they say. That's better it. Better late than never. Yeah. And I know you're at a time in a period with your different businesses where there's a lot going on, but I want to go back before that. I want to talk about what life was like when you were playing poker, of all things. Poker days. Poker days were great back in the day. Yeah. Interesting. I was actually living with a, a couple of a couple of poker players uh, recently, and uh, things are very different now in the, in the online poker scene. It used to be much easier to make some money doing it. And uh, it's very, very, it's a very, very hard way um, to make a living these days. The level of detail that those guys um, go into compared to what it used to be, let's say, whoa, nearly 20 years ago. We're knocking the door of 20 years ago when online poker was first a thing. And um, it used to be the case that if you uh, were fairly good at maths and numbers and stats and you can read people quite well and you can you know face to face um you know throw people the wrong way or you know throw them some misinformation that it was um it was a little bit easier because it was a big this big boom and um so i was there at the start of this boom and i was playing a little bit when i was at university and started doing all right Won a few games. I thought there's, there's, there's something in this. Won a few more games, and so you start increasing the stakes, and 
understanding a bit more about about your game um and obviously back then it's pretty much my my risk tolerance would have been um a little bit lower in terms of the sorts of stakes that i would have wanted to have played in um but i would have done like relatively low buy-in or i always did tournament games i did cash games you know a lot of the pros these days are playing cash games as their bread and butter and they'll be going off and doing some tournaments sort of here and there um but i wouldn't fancy i wouldn't fancy going into that to that industry now as a uh, as a young as a young pro i think that it's really fierce competition really really fierce so how seriously did you take it post university for me i was so i actually really considered it as a can i can i do this um and i think the answer but i often, I often think i could have done lots of things i think i probably could have been a sportsman in another life um and i think i thought that i could have done and i had a i had a series of pretty bad looking back they're really bad beats in a row and like little do i know now the way that lots of the poker guys structure themselves is that they will take you know stakes in a few of their friends um or have bigger backers that will you know own 10 20 30 50 70% of their of their pots um sorry of their uh, their the entirety of what they're of what they're betting um so which is you're mitigating your risk so you've, you've got your you know you've got your your resources spread amongst several players whereas now that's uh for me at the time a few bad beats in a row and i thought hang on what am i doing here so i was think i would have been 21 i think i would have been about 21 and I thought I'm pretty. I'm, I thought I'm, I was better than good. I was really good. I was winning, winning, winning lots of tournaments, making good money doing it. And I thought, is this, is this a, um, is this something that can be pursued professionally? You know, and you've got to balance the risk with all these things, and um, the risk averse option was that uh, no, it's not. It's not something that that I could do professionally but i think had i been which is what happens you know mates with, with groups of these guys that are playing poker if you're in a if you're in an environment where you're um uh working together and sharing information uh, not in game information but um you know, strategies for how to improve certain types of reading or whatever it might be so if you immerse yourself in it and you're surrounded by it uh, which i which i wasn't um then yeah possibly definitely in a parallel universe i'm still playing probably world champion somewhere in a, in a parallel universe but there we yeah go. and you're completely right when it comes to that network effect like look at like there's the whole classic self-development you are the, the some of the five people you spend the most time around if you were immersed in a, a poker playing environment where everyone was trying to level up and work on things you're probably going to end up that way in the same way a lot of the people i've become close to through doing the podcast over the last three years it's made me more entrepreneurial the people that i've grown up around are very into their health and their fitness best believe that's a big priority of mine as well now don't get me wrong there's certain elements where I'm drawn towards that kind of crowd. And I'm sure that's the same for some of the things that you'll find in your life, James. But when you're not surrounded by that and other people are, then you don't give yourself the best or the same chance as them of success. It's a, it's a huge advantage. It's a, it's a huge advantage. And, um, but that echoes not just in the, so like very much so for like living environments. And you find it now with, especially a lot of young men, like in entrepreneurs, 
they will be doing much much like I'm doing, moving around from place to place, um, but within a group of three or four that are all, you know, focusing on D2C brands or focusing whatever their whatever their niche is. Um, and that becomes their uh, support network, idea bouncing, um, keeping each other accountable, pushing each other to 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 do better, right? Um, the word tribe is what comes up for me when I think of that. It is, yeah, it, it is really, and you've you've got to be you've got to be careful in in any scenario. You know, you only get so much time to do things with in our lives, and you've got to be very careful with uh, where you spend it and what you spend it doing and, and who you spend it with um, because it will all have an impact on you today and next month and next year and uh, yeah I mean in, interestingly like I'm, I'm you know for, for a work perspective I'm somebody that works typically I th- you know I work best in in isolation which sounds a bit weird like I need to like detach myself from everything and uh, that's where I'll hit like the deepest amount of flow with whatever work I'm doing or certainly where my creativity will be best. It's when I'm isolated and I have time to like really think about stuff. Um, and I've never, I've never obviously tested them out before. I've never been a fan of, of co-working type environments. Of course, you know, places that I would go to, there's lots of these co-working type places. Some people it works for and some people it doesn't. I just find from a, a productivity perspective, uh the less distractions the better you know i'd rather be somewhere um you know very peaceful and uh i use uh you know different types of music to uh reach different types of mood depending on what work i might be doing and um yeah but it's just per- it's personal it's personal preference right understanding yourself is so vital and the way you talk now you clearly understand yourself. You even speak about your poker days where you're like, oh, my risk tolerance or my risk adversity was at a different level then. Where is it at post-poker? Like, how did you move into a sector that's as sort of, I don't want to say basic, but as traditional as banking of all places when you were a bit of a maverick if you're working in or trying to be a full-time poker player? Um... I think it comes down to not really, and I think there's a real danger here for young people. I always speak as if I'm like speaking to like my past self in lots of ways. So, but I think there's a real, there's a real danger amongst um, a lot of young people where they are not quite sure necessarily of what they they might want to do. And I think if you're, training uh you know as, as a doctor if you're studying medicine or if you're studying law or if you're very fixed and certain about the thing that you think you might want to do then in a way that's a very advantageous position to be in because if you know what you're aiming at then you can take your best shot but i think quite a lot of people certainly i can only speak for myself here i was never quite sure what it was that that i wanted to do any of the traditional sort of careers that I might have seen ahead of me were, were, were never uh, particularly interesting. You know, the only thing that was that was actually relatively interesting for me was the armed forces. Actually, I thought that's, that would be that would be interesting. Um, but 
and I think there's a there's a bit of a, a bit of a trap that that um, that a lot of people fall into where we're we have a perception that we have a perception of something being a good thing for us, but we've, we've never really taken the time to understand understand ourselves enough and what the uh, the good, the bad, the average, the ordinary, the ugly is as a result of the choices that we're making, you know, um, which are quite formative and, and, and shape, you know, the direction of us and onto it, you know, and it can be very difficult for people to pivot out of these, um, out choices of these scenarios. And it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a funny one. You know, I'll ask you a question if that's okay. And it, and I, I I did say I said but I think it was last night I te- you, you texted me so we, we were on the text last night or on the WhatsApp so you need to WhatsApp me because I won't bloody respond to anything otherwise so um but I said like I'm re- you know really impressed with with um with what you're doing and the thing that impresses me about it the most is that you is that you're doing it in addition to um you're leveling up a skill in something that's of, of interest to you with a view of it eventually hopefully becoming a um uh a high, you know a very good revenue generating uh, piece for yourself um presumably and it's having it's having you know, having anyone that's got the get up and go to to do above and beyond what would be considered you know an ordinary amount of work um particularly when it's in an area of focus which they've identified as something where they want to learn and grow and all the rest of it i think that it's just it's just totally commendable so i meant what i said last night in those special like like maximum yeah, thank- like so yeah yeah thank thank you for that I, I i really do appreciate it and i think a lot of that does come from the self-awareness that you're speaking about when you're talking about how you choose to work and optimize your life and the different ways that you get into a flow when you pause and you do that work to understand how you're wired and what you might succeed within or what you might perform at your best within, it really unlocks a lot of things within you. And I guess if I'm going to speak about the podcast, I knew that I could communicate well. I knew that I could ask questions. I work in sales for a living. It pays to be able to understand what somebody said and then bring forth your analysis of that and then route them towards a solution that's either shared or you can walk away and say that we're not going to work together. And I thought, you know what, I think I can contribute in this space and I've got a tremendous curiosity to learn from people. Don't get me wrong, not every topic. There's particular guests and topics that I would never have on the podcast because it doesn't align with my interests or the interests that serve my audience. But there's a phrase that keeps coming back to me and it's the tools will be heavy, but they'll feel light in your hands. And I really feel that way about the podcast because you've been on my friend Darren Lee's show and he probably shared with you, I think probably during the episode you did with him, he shares it a lot and I've shared it a lot too. 90% 90% of podcasts don't make it past episode 10. And then another 90 odd percent of the ones that do fail before episode 20. So people don't do well in this space. And without being rude to a lot of podcasters, even the ones that make it past, they don't improve over time, but I'm 200 odd episodes in and I'm getting better. I'm having more in-depth conversations. I'm bringing more at my guests and I'm just continuing to level up, but I'm not in a rush to do it, which I think is one of the key things. Like I'm just enjoying the process and just working through it there's a, there's a lot to be there's a lot to be said for uh for pa- for patience these days and it's actually on our it's actually honestly it's actually on, it's been on our roadmap probably you know there'll be people in my in my team watching this and be like oh god i've been telling him to do this for ages and um, but it's 
it's in it's in um it's in the roadmap from a marketing perspective for, for me to to be doing a podcast and to be documenting the things that i'm working on and be you know i've done quite a lot of interesting things and um and building some quite unique stuff and there is a it's on the roadmap for me so this is why this is why i've got this microphone and why i've been faffing around with the camera for the first five minutes before we went on air and all the rest of it but um it, it, it's in the roadmap to do it but it, and, and i so i dissected with darren actually um looking through you know how it all fits together how it works how the flow of it might work and actually did quite a um uh, had an interesting look at not just, it's not really just like topics that you might want to speak about but it's like what like you know what what's the what's the why like why are you doing stuff and i think if you ultimately you can always treat it as a uh, an incredible uh, learning experience like great like networking uh, thing you never know who might see something and be like that they like that guy i want to have a chat with them um but you'll just just discover i think if you know if you can discover so much about your, about yourself and what you know what's sort of become apparent to me um in this in the sleep space in the sleep health space in the wellness space generally there's there's a, there's a hell of a lot of um of learning for me to do there and probably one of the best ways to do that is to is to speak to uh, uh the right people who are much more highly qualified than i am and you know and to start uh producing some interesting content not for the sake of producing content but for the for you know you, you'd hope that you're adding um some some value to people's lives you know as a as a result of it afterwards right it's a so. win-win situation and that's what should always be trying to generate particularly with content if you can as the creator benefit from it from like a personal knowledge perspective or a network perspective fantastic but the audience that listen if they're spending an hour a week listening to you or reading your blog or whatever it is that you've created then they should be getting something at the other end of it and i think that's a it's a really important razor to use when you're creating anything like does this grow corn or does this does this do the job that it's intended to do uh, yeah i mean interested so did you have a very clearly defined goal when you set out when you set out on this this journey of 200 podcasts or has it changed and it's become something different or was it no that's, that that's a really like good question you? um the origin story of it is that i grew a following creating fitness content primarily um between 2017 and 2019 uh, on Instagram. Yeah. I got the deals with my protein and muscle food and I had a, I've, I've built a good physique and I was always sharing that I was traveling with work and doing my sales career. And people were just interested in how on earth do you balance both? So I appeared as a guest on a few different shows. I think I maybe did five or six in 2019. And after each one, I'm sharing it to my Instagram story or I'm sharing like a little thing on my grid saying, I've just been on this podcast, go and listen. And the feedback I was getting from my audience was really, really strong. Like, oh, I really enjoyed hearing you talk about these things. And then paired with what I was saying earlier about as a salesperson, like cold contacting an MD or an FD of a company and then pitching them and understanding their, their situation, asking them questions, having like funnels to funnel them towards particular things that I wanted to talk about. It overlapped quite nicely. So I really just thought rather than me spend a lot of time going the way that Instagram was going with like dancing dancing reels and pointing to things or selling out in a way that I wouldn't be comfortable with. I was like, why don't I spend more of the time having these conversations? And I was always an avid podcast listener as well, which I think when you're inspired by something that you watch a lot of or listen to a lot of, I would much rather be a creator than just a consumer. 
in some things in some regards like don't get me wrong there's some sports that i'll always just be consuming i won't be a creator but i certainly was keen to explore and create when it came to the podcast world that's cool yeah it makes it makes me feel um i lost you a little bit there james but i'm back now yeah it it makes me feel even more so that i need to i need to get on it and start having some of these conversations that i've been uh saying that i'll have for a while so yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's really, really powerful. And I love getting into people's stories. And when I was learning about yours, the thing that struck me was that you had a successful career in banking for a period of time as well. Like I see a lot of entrepreneurs go into the corporate world for a very short period, get burnt and leave immediately. But for you to develop a career over 10 years in the city, there's a more of a case of you potentially being institutionalized. How did you manage to free yourself? I think that there's a real danger of uh, everyone becoming extremely institutionalized with whatever you know field that they might be they might be um, they might be working in, and uh, the way this is this is the sort of the way that I would look at it, right? So, so you build so the company. I've done, there's another one now. There's two that that are being built before they existed there was nothing so you, you, you've, you've from from scratch you can uh, create what your uh, perception of you know normal behaviors uh, normal culture um, ways of thinking etc so you can build build those things from scratch if if you're in any you know even like a small small and mid-sized but particularly big corporate there's very uh, clearly defined uh, do's and do nots, and uh, there's a there's a there's a risk, you know, much like we discussed earlier. The 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 five people that you spend the most time with, you'll become like the the sum of them, right? Or you know, I don't know the exact words, but you know, you know what I'm referring to, right? Um, in these great big places, or even if there's you know sub teams within these great big places. You really have to question how. What are the chances that the the, the values, the ways of working, the the net outputs of the things that you're doing from being there? How closely are they aligned to your values as a human? Because you're going to spend an awful lot of time doing that. And I think uh, perhaps it doesn't bother some people as much as it would have bothered me, um, you know, uh, above, above all else, I, you know, I value uh, freedom above all else, so freedom of, of thought, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, free, you know, you should, you should re- you know, but by and large, if you're not, um, if you're not, if you're not hurting anyone else, you're not upsetting anyone else by, by and large, you know, you, you should really be able to go, go and do whatever you want to do. And I think there's, there's certain, uh, norms, should we say within lots of organizations that uh, never get challenged or questioned. And I would say that, that it's, there's not always a, a total amount of um reasonableness that's that's gone into 
the formation of what has become the norm in these places. It's just what's happened over such a long period of time. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it, what what I was doing never re never really felt very aligned. And sort of to go back to what, um, you know, your, your question earlier from like poker into banking, it's like, well, how did that happen? So I didn't, because I'd not, I did not done any sort of self-assessment of, of myself. Don't, you don't know what you're doing. And, you know, to be, to be perfectly honest, the, the thought process was, um, what's the thing that I can do, which uh, is going to pay me the most money? Because the only thing that was, um, uh, well, the thing that was the top priority in my life at the time was like, right, what's the, what's the fastest way that I can make some money here? As opposed to what aligns to my values and is going to bring me the most joy and add some usefulness to the world. And, and as you know, about fourth or fifth down the list is going to, is going to pay me, um, to, to do, to do, to do that thing. Those so. are huge questions to ask yourself. And I really feel there's an element of being railroaded at times or living on autopilot. And I think you can blame the system. I think of course you can, the education system, how it's structured society, how it pressures us. But when you listen to somebody like yourself speak now, James, and you look at the different like clarity on your values and how you want to live, that is, should be inspiration to other people to sometimes just unplug for a second, take some time, pause, ask those questions to yourself and then assess from there. And I think it's only when you get stories like this that bring it to life, because um, there's the whole in sales, facts, tell, stories, sell your story is that you were plugged in for 10 years, pushing forward, pushing forward, pushing forward, feeling this niggle that it wasn't quite right. Probably the phrase that comes to mind is comfortably numb for a lot of people when they're in that sort of situation, you're earning enough money to shut up and suck it up and carry yep. on. But there's a niggling thing in the back of your head and it's only when you maybe take a, take a, a momentary pause and you maybe explore things like side hustles. I know you dabbled with e-com briefly as well and just see like what 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 might what it might be like on the other side of the fence if I was to do my own thing or even just change career as well. Cause you could have gone from banking to another career that lit you up in a way that the, the way your current business does. But it's only when you take those times to ask yourself some of those deeper questions rather than as you said, what's gonna make me the most money? What's gonna give me security from a financial perspective? That, that that as a goal if you if you if that is your like primary goal i think it's really really it's a really really bad thing to define as a goal it should be an it should be an outcome of of doing something which you which is a combination of you enjoying it you learning from it and growing from it uh adding demonstrable value to the world as a result of it um adding demonstrable value to society in some way uh you know eg is it is this in some way bringing me peace beyond beyond just watching um uh you know watching the bank balance rise uh because it, like if that if that is your primary goal i don't i don't think that you'll ever really be uh totally satisfied and i think it, it will be uh something that 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 really clouds your, that really clouds your, your judgment. Um, so 
there we go i mean i mean and this is this is just me speaking from from um just just from my from my personal experience but uh, i think there's a there's a lot of you know I don't, I don't think anyone will listen to this and think god james what a great bloke he's right i'm going on the notice center or anything like that but i think you know what would be wonderful is if um yeah, is if some people who might be uh, a little bit um younger in age or are financially secure so you know in terms of the risk that they're taking so if you're in your uh mid 30s 40s family mortgage blah blah, blah. It's, it's very difficult to take certain types of risk right if you're in your early 20s mid 20s late 20s or whenever really if you're prepared you know to make enough uh sacrifice um which means uh, cutting back on all of your outgoings and expenses taking time uh staying with friends or family or whatever it might be to keep your living costs as low as you can be um and, and saying no to most things that you ordinarily want to say yes to then you you have a lot more money in your pocket and you might have some time to think about what you might like to do you buy um, yourself the opportunity to explore this is it, it interestingly as well lo lots of people uh, like myself if you message them if you find a sensible way of messaging them or getting in touch with them loads of them will get loads of them will be like myself I'll be, yeah, sure let's have a let's have a 20 minute half an hour chat let's you know let's figure out what's going on because there's the, there's a desire to uh to see other humans prosper equally well you know you get people who are of all ages that are that might be you know um 50s 60 you know people in the 50s 60s starting new business and stuff like that. there's all sorts of there's all sorts of ways there's all sorts of ways to do it but it it, it does it do, it sounds ridiculous right like it genuinely saddens me to think that there'll probably be people listening to this that are doing things that they don't want to do with the time that they've been blessed with on this on this earth which is beautiful and they're spending uh, large portions of that time either doing things that not don't necessarily make them unhappy some of them might be doing things that make them unhappy but they're certainly doing things that don't um, offer them any sense of uh, fulfillment contentment or uh, are aligned to the vision of their lives today or tomorrow and that that Agreed, is really, that's really what the sad thing is I, I've said this on numerous podcasts and, and people like you would of course push me sometimes to question why I'm not doing the podcast or something full-time that's in that area and I can honestly tell you I think one of the few areas that I've found fulfillment within the corporate world and the structure is in sales because you you can have a notable impact and your purpose is really clear grow the revenue yep. win new customers look after them it's really easy for me to track that as a metric and I do say this to a lot of young men that maybe feel lost and there's been lots of guests that have advocated for this as well if you are lost in like an operations role or a stock role or a product role and you're just not really getting it go and do sales for a little bit because probably what you're going to end up doing in terms of your own business you probably need to be quite good at sales to some extent because you're going to be selling at some point whether it's voraciously as i'm doing with cold calls and emails and pitches and presentations or whether it's just branding your product right and getting it in front of the right stores or whatever else whatever else you're doing so i really think that there are opportunities to find purpose and fulfillment that are outside of what you're typically doing at this moment in time. And one of the things you mentioned, James, was like 
pausing and giving yourself the opportunity to decide if what you're doing is correct was there pivotal moments during your career where you did that enable to enable you to go all in when it came to ethical bedding uh taking time to pause and reflect no i wouldn't i wouldn't say so not necessarily i think i was very very much on the on the hamster wheel getting sort of uh ground down you know um over a, a, a prolonged period of time uh to the point at which i was like this is not this need something needs there needs to be a change here in the way that i'm living because this is this is not living like this is not this is this is in no way shape or form uh of fulfilling or enjoyable um uh existence so um but in terms of in terms of uh, sort of self-assessment and self-awareness, I would say that that's pr probably only only really become uh, I'd say something of a of a skill in in the last few years for me for me personally. Um, and I don't know if that just comes with age or experience uh, or or what it might be. Um, but yeah, what no, enabled you to take the leap? What enabled me to take the leap? What and say I'm done? So there was a uh, let's say a side hustle business at the time, and I was thinking, okay, like this is. I saw there was an opportunity in e-commerce, basically, to make money, and um, there was the products at the time for that brand weren't really something that it didn't add it didn't add any value to the world um or it certainly didn't uh, bring any it brought people joy in their lives presumably you know uh, beyond the standard dopamine hit of ding you've bought something and oh ring at the doorbell here it is um but what i wanted to do and what i still want to do is um is to do big stuff do big stuff that uh transforms uh how people view themselves how they view the world um in industries which are really really big so there's scope for huge scale uh in markets that are evergreen or are growing and in ways that uh consistently uh, give back to uh to nature to the world um and to create things that are not necessarily new in the way in terms of a you know a, a totally new product no one's ever thought of before uh, but there there are a lot of things a lot of products which can be improved upon if there is a little bit more thought that goes into them uh so i was actually i was actually looking for 
with that, I had one, the, there was one business already, already active and I was looking f to do something which would spread more kindness in the world. And I didn't know what, and I didn't, I had no idea what it would be. And there were some, um, third party contractors in the, uh, this, I'd hate this. I'm avoiding saying the word side hustle because I, it's just like, but let's use it because in this like side hustle business and I spoke to them and I, and I, and I said, you know, I, I, there's not, there's not enough kindness in the world at all. Like that's, like, there just isn't, this would have been around 2020, let's say maybe like 20, yeah, 2020, uh, or maybe a touch before, maybe 2019, tw yeah, 2019, 2020. And I thought, I want to create something that, that, that just brings more joy and kindness in the world. I didn't know what it didn't know what it would be. And I spoke to loads of them and let, let's say, you know, like media buyers, email marketers, whatever it would be, your SEO guys, web devs. I'm like, look, it's going to be amazing. Like, let's all do it. Like, we're all just going to like work on it for nothing. And everyone's like, no, no, no. So I was like, right, okay. Back to the, sort of back to the drawing board. Um, but like this, these are the sort of, this is like the, the you know, this is, this sort of like stuck with me and I was looking, always just like looking for something and I was looking, looking for, for products, which I knew would, uh, would be suitable in the UK market, which is the financial and legal system, which I understand and business, you know, environment, that I understand how to operate in. Um, but that had been, had some degree of success in different geographies. Um, and yeah. You know, you look, looking for something that's like super scalable, you know, different or better than competitors, high demand for it. Um, and you can slowly start crossing things off the list, which you may or may not want to do. A bed, a bedding is one of those things, as you will attest to. It, this year, people will need it. Next year, people will need it. In five years time, people will need it. In 10 years time, people will need it. This, three three beds on planet earth for every one human um now of course not everyone's in the market for uh some high-end you know uh eucalyptus bedding or whatever it, whatever it might be um but there's a, a large enough market there that if you're delivering an excellent um an, ex an excellent product within a brand that people feel an affinity to that they will um not just uh, buy from you once, but they will become um, uh, customers of yours for life, which means you um, can kind of like roll this snowball down the hill, right? Momentum's a hell of a drug. And I, I, com I completely agree. You, you did an assessment of was there enough to shoot at in terms of size of market, because you could create yeah. a very niche product that ticked those ethical boxes for you in terms of the give back to people, to the planet, to the environment, to like, culture overall. But if you did it in the wrong field, you wouldn't have the the right amount of impact. It would be a very small ripple. Whereas if you do something that's, like you say, required in every household, then you are far more likely to have a positive impact as well. What were those early days like? Um, Pretty boring, actually. <laughs> it depends what timeline you're looking at but you know from the start from the point of forming the company it's, there was a lot of mapping work so a lot of me a lot of looking back now there's a lot of, a lot of thinking a lot of mapping uh, investigating textiles sourcing suppliers um hell of a lot of time in spreadsheets 
figuring out which uh, which third parties we might need to come in and do different bits of work. Um, I think I the first iteration of the website definitely would have done it myself. In fact, the first couple I did myself entirely. Uh, but the 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 first like clunky bit, it, there's like just like lots of fiddly bits at the start to set up one of these businesses. It's funny actually, because I st started another business about when I say started, I've been thinking about it for a while, and then but did the setup process and got all the you know the, the lots of the bits in the back end set up. And you can just sort of turn the handle now because you've done it, done it so many times. You just sort of turn the handle, you know how to do it. But um, for, yeah, I think for that one, it was a bit, was a bit more fiddly. And it was, um, it was, it, like, I loved it. I loved, I loved the, I loved the concept of the business from the get go. Uh, I loved the products. Uh, I'm very firm that I would, you know, unless I would, not just use a product myself, but be delighted to use a product. Like, wow, like, I love this product. Then I, then you shouldn't really be, I mean, this is my opinion, you shouldn't really be selling it. And you know, you only have to go on to, um, you know, lo lots of different places. Like let's just use Amazon as an example and use lots of stuff on there. And you just think that's just absolute junk. Like why, why are people buying it? Why are people making it? Like who, how are people proud of what, of what they're doing here? So, um, but yeah, the first, the early stages are always a bit sticky because you're committing cash to something which may or may not be successful. So the initial, uh, the initial input to test whether the business was going to be feasible or not, from memory, was about it was about fifty grand. So it was about fifty grand, and that and the majority of that was um, because. Uh, you have to order quite a lot of the raw materials and textiles. People, people don't want to take you, people don't want to make a hundred pairs of pillowcases and see whether you're, do you know what I mean? Like you, 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 you're making stuff by ordering stuff by the ton, you know, mm -hmm. um, rather than, um, as you know, very well yourself, you, you're not going to get taken seriously if, and, and if you, uh, if, it's if a volume doing... game for these factories. They need to, they need they need exactly. to realize that there's scale at the other end because otherwise you're 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 not going to make it. Big time. So, so that was interesting. I've, told, I've not told this story for a while actually. So the 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 early stages were it's fun, it's interesting, but it was very very slow. It's very very slow to roll products out. Um, you know, I obviously knew how to do set up and do many of the things already uh but the first batch of products um failed i wouldn't say catastrophic well yeah fairly catastrophically to be honest what was they, the were, they were there was a, a chemical there was a chemical which wasn't added um or a chemical process which wasn't didn't take place at some point um uh post or when was it somewhere in the i need to know i need to look about three but somewhere in the production process there was a something which didn't take place which needed to take place and as a result of that not taking place the um the products began to fail the fabric began to pile very badly and um uh it was just very weak 
it's very very it was very weak and it they lasted for three or four months and then they just started to bubble and bubble and bubble some more and I remember it got to it got to about January and I, I think I got the first email and they and I and some and so, someone said oh it's really started to bubble da 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 and I thought that's weird I thought I said you know well what are you how have you washed it what's the you know has it been washed too hot was it on a super fast spin like what's going on here and then the second complaint came in and the third I thought oh, you know like we've actually got a bit of a situation here this is not um like user error this is this is bad news so uh, eventually we realized what had gone on and it was i don't even i can probably say this actually do you know what i actually went i actually went to see them in um in uh frankfurt at heim textile about a month or so ago I was just snooping around. They didn't know who I was. And but anyway, yeah. so the company was making so they manufactured for the white company and they they're used they're pretty very, very good at making linen and they're very good at making organic cotton and they've never done uh eucalyptus tensile before and um the the products failed and they didn't want to take any accountability for it. And so it it cost an awful lot of money to um not only replace the inventory it was like back to the drawing board in terms of finding a supplier uh, but also uh outreach to the customers and uh explaining to them you know what had gone on and and saying just sort of stick with us like we like we did you know and had some issues with the product and everything will be replaced if it if it begins to begins to fail um, but it will it will get done when it gets done and, and and not sooner. And the entirety of the inventory is not the it was not the not the current three PL we're at, but the previous one. Um there was donated to uh to a hospice, because they need loads of bedding at hospices, was donated to a hospice um which was connected to somebody that worked in theirs uh mother. So yeah, I mean, very wobbly, very wobbly start. In terms, I was going to say yeah, a really we're... challenging start because when you've launched and you have made these sales and there's a demand for the product, you found a manufacturer that worked with the white company who's a leader in the space, albeit not with the same type of product as you. There's a relative level of reassurance that you've used someone that's credible, and then for that to fall down is a sore point. Of course, it is. But you said already one of your highest values is kindness. And how you deal with yeah. a challenge for your customer experience. If we look at kindness as a value, you probably need to act in alignment with that. Or is it just words at that point in time? And I think for you to lose a pretty significant sum of money making it right would also win you customers for life potentially, but also sit better with you. It it comes down it comes down to uh, it's an integrity for me, and it's like how. You know how would you want to how would you want to be treated in that in that scenario and as a as a as a customer how how what would your expectations be and um you know i think above all else if you it's not it's not reasonable to say one thing and do another thing i think the, the world would the world would be in a much uh better uh position these days if if people's words match their actions and and sadly when we're we live in a time where um people say one thing and do another thing 
and uh, above above all else if you if you say you're going to do something you should do it and in, unless there's absolutely you know disaster and you know there's, there's no way that you know you can do the thing that you've said that you're going to do um but even then maybe you should think about what, what you say you're going to do if you're not going to do it and um but that's, I completely agree. You know, One of the biggest challenges of the world now is it's more rewarding to be seen to do good than to actually do good. And that concept comes down to virtue signaling. So many people online will share the latest uh, flag of a country that's in trouble or uh, they'll put uh, like whatever uh, banner up or, or whatever day of the week it is or whatever month of the year it is to, to signal that they're virtue, that they're a good person. But if you look at their day-to-day life, are they living in alignment with those values and are they putting good and joy into the world in the way that you would expect them to be if they're if they're putting these things out there and i often find and this is maybe a political point some of the most people who hold themselves up as the most progressive across all these things are also by far the most intolerant when you scratch beneath the surface or you present a viewpoint that they're not comfortable with and i've certainly found that online with any content of mine that's been like self-development based or whatever else as well or like personal responsibility and value based. Sometimes if it if it goes beyond my audience and on TikTok or YouTube Shorts or whatever, the comment section of people who hold themselves up to be progressive and supportive and wholesome, oh my goodness, they do not like me or my guests one bit. Oh really? I don't know. I I just very very much of the of the opinion generally like live, live and let live. You know, I wouldn't worry wouldn't be worrying too much about bloody idiots commenting stuff on um tiktok it's what, actually, it's what anyone, anyone, ducks back. Anyone, you can't right. take it seriously anyone that's got enough time to be writing anything on tiktok in the first place christ i wouldn't take i wouldn't be taking that too seriously anyway um but um yeah it's uh it's a it's a funny one it's a funny one i wouldn't i wouldn't you know people do uh this virtue signaling thing people do things like that I don't know why. That's what brings them joy. It's low cost. Pardon? It's very low cost and potentially high reward because if you're seen as a good person, people treat you differently and they expect a higher standard of you. So, for example, because you own a business called Ethical Bedding, you are seen as somebody that is ethical, is moral, is good, and your products reflect that. That's fantastic. But somebody could just be like, oh, I'm an Ethical Bedding customer but the rest of their life could be an absolute shit show in terms of how they actually behave. And that one thing that they've maybe held up online or posted on their Instagram story is designed to kind of cover their tracks elsewhere. And it's relatively low cost for them to do that. But what's high cost is to run a business that's in line with those principles or to live a life that's virtuous and moral and good outside of that. It's really, really hard. It's really, really hard to do it. And I I think it's, it's a funny one, actually, because... I do things which are within my which are within my um, ability to be able to help people, and I'd love to be able to do more. I really would love to be able to do more. You can't you can't always do more, and you only have so much time. And there's only one of you. Um, but yeah. It's 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 yeah it's a real it's a real con it's a real conflict for me in general. And I've had conflicts about selling all sorts of different types of products just from a sustainability standpoint. And it's, it's much easier to sell um, 
junk stuff to people than it is to sell a high quality expensive product that costs more to manufacture raw materials cost more people in the supply chain paid appropriately um money donated to sustainability initiatives it's really it's really really difficult but the the one thing that that um that is very good about my standpoint in this is that not because this is not like a bedding related pun but i sleep very well at, at night i am a good sleeper anyway i i know i you know i'm a good you know the science of sleep i'm all right at sleeping but i know that i'm you know living my life in alignment to what i have defined as my values to be and am i a saint is it per can i always you know is, is do i live this per of course not like let's be realistic of course not um but do i uh make sure that i you know treat people with respect and with integrity and i'm mindful about you know, my consumption choices um uh, mindful about you know you know what waste i'm creating um mindful about how you make people feel um like absolutely and i think that there's it's actually a, a, something that's become it's a, it's become a little bit lost it's become a little bit lost in 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 society almost whereby some of the things that 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 i've that i've just described there aren't necessarily uh really the norm they're not and, common practice now and i don't know what's i don't know what's gone i don't know what's gone wrong and i, I see it as i see it as being more prevalent in, in the west actually i spend quite a lot of time in in asia I, I see it as being more uh prevalent in the west and yeah it's very it's certainly a discussion very... for another day james but my Christian friends would point to it's the loss of religion yeah. and structure and yeah. focus on that. And while I am not a man of active faith, I was christened when I was a child, but I didn't grow up with uh, attending church or having an active faith. But two of my friends in particular, both of who have appeared on the podcast, are born again Christians. And they fundamentally point to a loss of the traditional yeah. Christian values that we have. And you mentioned the West, best believe that's where it's become the most secular because when you go to Asia or when I spend time in Dubai, for example, a lot of these places remain faithful to the yeah. original faith that was of that land and their value set largely, not in all cases, of course, appears to be a bit more intact and less watered down and corrupted. And that is certainly something that I've been thinking a lot about over the last six months in particular. I think that there is quite a lot of truth in what you've just said there and I'm not and I'm not sure uh, what the not just in terms of the uh, give, giving people a guide for a value system which is uh, over millennia proved and demonstrated to be a pretty reasonable way you don't have to agree with everything in there with every part of every religion or whatever it might be but as a as a as a value set it's it's a pretty good a pretty good starting point and as a um as a method of um having a, a functioning society society 
whereby there's communities of people who are holding each other accountable for doing good things. I think um, if we're all doing our own uh, things in isolation, and then then that's where um, things can the get a bit start to show. They really do. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of a, a, a challenge, perhaps not in society, but in a, in a particular event of yours, how did uh, the whole Dragon's Den thing come about? Do you know what? I'm so I'm so bad at preparing for stuff, and I was like, I wonder what he's going to ask, and I'll like, oh, just get distracted and do something else instead. So I didn't even play, didn't even play it through in my head again. Uh, how did it come about? So where was I? I think I was in was I in Spain? No, I think I was in. I think I was just back in I was just back in the UK. I think I was just back from Latin America. And uh my mother said you need to you need to apply to go on Dragon's Den. I said, Oh yeah, I mean I could do yeah. And then a friend texted me, he said, Hey, you know, you should really apply to go on that. So I applied to go on, you know, straight on straight on the phone to me the next day. And then um when was it filmed? It's filmed. Was it filmed quite long after? No, it's filmed in May. So I've been back in the country, let's say February. I think it was filmed in May of 2022 and screened in January 23. Um, but yeah, it's a great experience. It's a great experience. I think I'd probably have a slightly different um, approach going in there now then but again like hindsight's a wonderful thing um so yeah i mean there's probably some really cool experience the thing the thing that i remember the most is that like, i've done i've done some fairly unusual and, and interesting things in my lifetime and so there aren't too many things that, that genuinely like give you this like huge exhilarating like rush of like nervousness or excitement and and so there was that was um uh definitely very interesting it's just quite a unique experience to go and do it i think to be honest with you i one-on-one -on -one conversations with you and i yeah i'm very comfortable with that some people are very good probably you i would say you would be far better far better at this than i would be you know presenting um presenting things in front of a group uh, in front of a group or speaking publicly or things like this that they're not things that that particularly um come very naturally to me and they're certainly not things that i enjoy doing uh and so i would have been very nervous actually before i went to go and do that um because for some reason people think that I'm very outgoing. I don't know if it's the long hair or whatever it might be, or but it, it, and I can be, but, but I'm actually you know a fairly uh, introverted person uh, with flashes of extroversion depending on on who I'm around. But um, yeah, I mean it's a very interesting experience. What stands out Probably. is one of the biggest lessons. I, I've I've read some of your posts reflecting on it, yeah. and I'm really interested to get into a few of them. So the 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 biggest lesson for me would be to, um, which I've actually had to implement um, since. Well, I never didn't give you a briefing, did I? Before we had a conversation. But it's, it's it's make sure that you make sure you that you own that you own the uh, the media 
you or you own the edit or you at least really highly trust the person that you're that you're speaking to i you know of course long formats fine because you and i are having a chat and you can see what's going on and whatever else um but the 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 way that that i was presented and the way that the edit went out was uh really not a very accurate representation of myself of the brand that a lot of people had put a lot of time and money and effort into building um a brand that uh, that very shortly after that become an award-winning b corporation and was a b corporation at the time and the way that that i was framed in relation to the bbc who um, are a quasi-governmental organization and do have a responsibility to accurately uh, represent uh, people and things that are happening, which they sadly no longer uh, deem to be something that they is important to them. The way that I was re represented in order to uh, create a narrative and a story like ex-city banker, like boo, um, and any time I would have stuttered during the uh, the presentation of the brand, any time, whether the timings of the way that things were chopped that were chopped up was, was totally uh, not the case whatsoever. Uh, the then basically the narrative that was presented was to create uh, a storyline and to create some drama as opposed to uh, celebrating something which is actually quite an interesting, like a really interesting brand and a cool company um, that's trying to do something. And so, when you consider that it was a 12 minute clip of you and the dragons and the yeah. actual reality was two plus hours you discussing with them. And yeah. as you say, the way it's cut for you to, for it to pick when you um or you stumble or you pause, that's used to show uncertainty or the lack of clarity and people can love or loathe them. But Andrew Tate released what his, his footage of the BBC interview that he did post his release from prison and he posted it against the BBC's um, cut of it. And there were times where they had cut in him pausing and anyone, regardless of what you yep. think of Andrew Tate, knows that he is an incredibly precise speaker and presenter. And for somebody to try and present that in a different way was misleading. And as you said, the BBC with its government funding actually has a charter which dictates that it should not do that in any shape or form and it should protect things almost verbatim. I'll tell you what I use the BBC for now to check the, to check the football results. Actually, they've got a decent weather app as well. But, but by and large, they're a total joke. And um, I, I'd say, you know, and it, if you just for me personally if i want to source uh, news or information then i'm very careful about how i do that and i'm very careful about who i will listen to and um take different pieces of information from um but I, you know irrespective of what i do or don't think about andrew tate i think it's fairly safe to assume that probably what he said there is accurate i know that um pauses were put into what i was saying stutters were put into what I was saying, the timing of when things were, the sequence of events of things that took place in there. Most most disappointingly, actually, what was interesting is during the, the entirety of the clip, uh, entirety of the 12 minutes, there was no focus whatsoever on the, on the products, no focus whatsoever on the achievements or the successes. 
there was no none of the conversations about going into the numbers, the size of the market, like all sorts of different things which you would expect to see um, were just not there. So anyone who watched it would basically would have been like, right, who's this prat on, on Dragon's Den? As opposed to, oh, I wonder what those products are. You know, ultimately in the bigger picture, you know, it's a good thing. It's a huge learning experience for me. And uh, of course, there's this element of making sure that you, that you own the media as well. Uh, that that you're that you're putting out from from a long form um, perspective, um, but I would really would uh, question the the issue. The issue with the BBC is that there's this perception that what they're saying is is true and uh, is a fair representation of the truth and is in some way uh, accurate. Now, look, I'm just a fella selling bed sheets on the internet. If you want, if you want to make me look like a, if you want to make me look like a fucking idiot, go for it. Right, that's all right. Don't worry about it. But what's not what probably that is the tip of the iceberg of what else is not okay that they're doing. And I'm not like an investigative journalist. I, you know, I don't really care uh, that much. I'll just won't watch it. Like I say, I'll watch the football results. But uh, by and large, you know, I'd just be very, very mindful in general of for anyone of of what they're consuming um, in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of media and where they where they're getting that information from because yeah, it's dangerous out there. I'm on board entirely and a lot of what they pushed around the C-19 narrative was and has now been shown to be potentially massively exaggerated to support a kind of project fear around the pandemic and I think when you lose that level of trust with your audience, albeit only a, perhaps more the younger viewers, you're really going to struggle in future to collect things like the license fee or to gain the same viewing figures that you've had previously. It, one of the things that fascinated me about the the way it was cut was, as you're saying, you really understood the market you were going into and you looked at other countries where brands had done similar to you, albeit with maybe slightly different products and grown, and you were trying to do the same in the UK. None of that was included. And instead they spent time really probing your valuation. Now, having spoken to you and had this conversation, I know that you would have talked about the numbers in different regions and how that was all shaped in order to justify a valuation that you were working towards as well as things like your sales and the potential to market and costs and all that other stuff that's important. But none of that was included and instead it was an opportunity for them to like almost justify a really low ball offer that you eventually got. Yeah, I think um, so. lots of very sensible conversations happened about all of the different uh, things that were happening in the, in the business. Lots of sensible conversations about my experience. Uh, Interestingly, um, built a pretty strong rapport with most of them um, and had a few laughs and jokes in there. And, you know, we were just having some, having some sensible conversations, really. And none of the sensible conversations were, were, were really included. And um, I remember before, before, it would have been about half an hour before I went uh, on for the filming, some sort of exec producer came and said, uh, James, the Dragons like to invest between 60 and 70,000 pounds. I was like, okay. And uh, also, I don't think that they'll like your valuation for the business. I was like, oh, okay. And I said, oh, well, you've had this info, you've had the, bear in mind the due diligence process is crazy beforehand. I'm like, so you've had this information for whatever, like four or five months, no, three, four months um so like why are you presenting this to me now like 
what's your understanding of what I'm doing like who are you what like what is your name what's your credibility like what like what is this nonsense basically so um yeah I mean that was quite unsettling but they weren't yeah they weren't happy with uh the valuation and, and you know to be honest with you yeah fine probably went in there a little bit punchy with the expectation for there to be some sort of uh, negotiation in there which is um to be expected um but i did have i had a line in the sand for what was there based on my determination of what sort of uh, offer might come in um and there was only uh but anyway, i think it was miles off the pace and i think like i don't know i can't i can't speak for other people but I, th I think um, uh, the the offer that was made, uh, Tucker Sullivan probably wanted me to uh, negotiate with him, um, but there was no. Uh, this, at the end of the day, yeah, let's go full full circle here. It's a game. It's a game of poker, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like the pot, the pot's getting bigger. The pot's getting bigger and you're like right what's going on here like what's like is, is is there any sort of like value bet that i can make here and i thought you've come you've come in at such a shit price here to be honest and i would have, i would have done a deal at, at some level i thought you've come in at such a shit price i you know you, how you start negotiations really shows a level of respect and yeah. 150k for 50 percent was so far away from what you discussed at the start it was to the point of being rude so i i actually really respected when you said no i'm okay thank you very much and and called it at that point because when you get on your knees in any circumstance whether it's business or relationships or life it's very hard to get back up and i really don't believe that you should like bow down when somebody treats you with that level of disrespect and i think to some extent while he may have had an interest i think some of that sometimes they're like encouraged to do these things for the for the camera for the entertainment to really lowball somebody when they maybe don't fully grasp it and also I, I was quite critical when i was watching it of how he talked about how he could generate the same level of like supplies and product with a, like a really meager budget and you just looked at me like, i really don't think that's the case and like you managed to just about bite your tongue to not be like fuck off yeah well this is the, this is the thing actually um i've got a few mates that have been on there before as well actually and they and they know what i'm like i don't suffer fools and i don't give a shit i don't give a shit if you've got 100 million in the bank i don't give a couldn't give a crap like if 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 we're having a conversation and, and you might know a bit more about this and i might know a bit more about that like, let's just like go at it and like problem solve in those ways and figure out what's going on um but yeah obviously he was i think he's, he's said a couple of things which were probably um may have been for impact or slightly misjudged but he did actually did actually kind of get called out on them a little bit and to be honest with you it was a really enjoyable experience like i've got n no um ill will at all towards any any of the um uh the dragons um uh, it was a very enjoyable experience um you know i would do it again um the BBC are a fantastic organisation with lots of talented individuals. They always tell the truth, and um, and they would in no way um, misrepresent anyone because um, they're such a wonderful bunch of blokes. So keep the good work, BBC. Thank you. Absolutely. When you bought the ethical bedding website domain, you bought a number of other 
ethical website domains. Why was that? There's hundreds. There's not hundreds. There's, I think there's about, well, there is. Dot coms, there might be about, there's probably at least 70 dot coms. And there is, God knows how many dot co dot UKs, but they're just, just, in, just to support them because you have to do sort of thing. But it's the dot coms you want. Yeah, there's loads. And the reason why I did it is because I would like to create um, uh, an ecosystem of of businesses in this space that follow the same ethos and the same values and um people will hopefully um uh build an affinity not only with the brand but, but build begin to build an affinity with myself as to start to do, put myself out there a little bit more in um in different scenarios in different places uh, one of them's actually begun to be executed upon which is a really really cool project in fact there's there's two uh which uh one is very much all systems go and should be live. The thing is, I always say, oh, I'll be ready in March. It might, it might not be. So it'd probably be, it'd probably be April. So uh, it's a it's a supporting uh, business for ethical bedding, uh, which is called Ethical Calm, Trading for Ethical Calm.com. And Ethical Calm is a uh, sleep, breathwork, meditation, and sound therapy app with lots of different sleep stories, um, different types of meditation, things to help people understand more about their breathing, understand more about their bodies, about their sleep, the importance of it. And of course, it forms part of a wider sleep uh, ecosystem. The third, so there's two parts of this sort of like sleep ecosystem that I'm looking at building. One of them, one of them's a little bit more complex. The app actually isn't that it's a bit fiddly to do, but you know, it should be, you know, it's not, it's, it's in my, we've got some good people working on it. We, we know, we know we're going to deliver a very good product, right? So we've got the bedding. So we've got the, uh, the physical products. We've got the app, we've got the digital product. And then I'm looking at ethical vitality as well, which is consumables. So, um, there's lots of things that you can do with magnesium, glycine and, uh, different types of supplement that, that typically that would link to sleep health as well and improve it. Yeah. I, I, I love the synergy between all the different areas because it's so much easier to pivot and the existing audience and customers are going to be interested in those products as well. And if you have a, a trust with you and the products that they bought within one brand, then the sister brand is an easy one to, to transfer across to. And I think that's a really interesting consideration to anyone listening about how you could potentially diversify your income streams within an existing business by launching more products off the side of it. There has to be that synergy that meets both your customers, your values. And of course, like the, the market, the market has to bear it as well. For, for me, for me, it's really straightforward. It's an incredible to go from a, a physical product to a digital product, incredibly natural progression. The, the consumables, it's the consumables is a bit more fiddly. So I've started to do a little bit of digging into it and, Typically, I, I don't, you know, rule of thumb, if the perishable goods are a little bit more difficult in general, they, there's going to be different um, uh, requirements and, and learning curve in that space in, entirely, which which I'm not familiar with. Uh, I the, the setup costs and getting getting you know to, to get a, to get a baseline product for for a good a good price in the sleep space you know eg can you get the moq high enough to get the price down low enough you're probably looking at about 50 grand to, to build and roll out a brand now is not too bad for me to be able to do that some packaging requirements and um 
uh, making sure that you know the, the team is 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 you know doing what it do everyone knows what they should be doing, but the team are there already. I don't think it's that complicated, but it's only so much time that has to do stuff. So I'm gonna wait. I'm kind of in my head. I said that I'd do those two this year: the the um, the digital product, the app, and the consumables. But I think I'm gonna kick the can down the road on the consumables, and I'm I'm actually looking at. I'll, t- I'll tell you some of my best ones that I want to do. Okay. <laughs> but um, so I'm looking at. I want to build a. I want to build a marketplace. I want to build a marketplace that has ethical beddings products. I'm also looking at doing. Uh, we now do bedroom furniture as well as the bedding. But I'm also doing looking at doing a whole uh, range of home furnishings from bedroom, uh, lounge, kitchen, bathroom, garden, the whole lot, as well as having the bedding on a marketplace. Building a a native app which will be functioning as a sales channel through Shopify. Most of the types of brands that you'd want to have on there would be Shopify native brands. And finding a way of um, doing some sort of means test or some sort of like assessment of their credibility in terms of uh, you know sustainability, uh, environmental impact, uh, ethical supply chain, you know people being paid appropriately, blah 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 blah. And 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 bring in, I'd like to bring in 100, 200 brands, however many, and charge a uh, uh, a sizable. Um, I'm telling all my secrets here. You've got me. You've got me telling you secrets. But I like char- charge a commission off the top, so a dropship type model, uh, whatever the percentage might be, but say you know around the thirty percent mark, and give let's say five percent of that back to good causes. So. Um, sustainability initiatives, education programs for children, uh, humanitarian relief, whatever it might be. Um, now, wh- where that business model is interesting is that it's, I can actually, much like the app, I can streamline a lot of the, the, the customers towards the, the app already. Uh, we've already paid to acquire those customers once, so they can, it can be funneled towards the app. And the same, much the same like one of these marketplaces, so if you if you consider that to acquire a customer typically in the D2C space, if I can only speak for ourselves, um, but you be, but you're looking at you're looking at somewhere in the region of let's say twenty five percent to forty percent, but that's you know you don't really want to spend forty percent. Let's say twenty five twenty five to thirty percent. Let's say as a ballpark to acquire a customer as a percentage of total product cost, including off the shelf off the shelf price, so including taxes. If you if you have a suitable sales channel, which um, is uh, wrapped up in a nice brand, has excellent customer service, uh, has really really cool products, and uh, seamless customer experience with all the things they might be looking for in one place, then, like I just think it's it's quite a nice thing to have, and it it sort of exists in some guises already but i don't think it's a particularly crowded marketplace i don't think anybody that's in there currently is necessarily executing it as well as they could do so given lots of the barriers to entry you know might be getting brands on board well because of what we have with the bedding products and myself already i can probably pick the phone up to people just a little email it's like launching this are you in like yeah let's do it um You've and... done a lot of the work already for your network. That's that's vital. You've got you've got to take advantage of the reps that you've done prior. Yeah, yeah, 
I mean, in th in theory, it's it's not so difficult to do, and it, and and it's just it's a case of making sure that it's um, operationally streamlined, and you've got the right people in who I who I've got a pretty good understanding of who they are already uh, from the get go, in order to um, to to launch something like this, you know, excellently. So instead of doing my consumables at the back end of this year, which I think might be a pain in the backside. I um I'm gonna launch this I'm gonna launch this marketplace. So there we go. Heard it here first. That's happening. I'm excited to see it, James, and I'm excited to see all the other things that you're gonna work on. But one of the things that I, I want to think about, given the level of self awareness you've got and the level of different options you've got within the the web of companies, in ten years' time, what would you have to have achieved to look back on those ten years as a success? Uh, it wouldn't come down to anything. It wouldn't come down to a business metric. It would. It would come down to have I, um, you know, w woken up naturally in a in a in a comfortable bed with with uh, sun with uh, you know some natural sunlight. Have I been been lucky enough to uh, take a good amount of exercise every day and nourish my body with uh, healthy food, organic wherever possible? Um, have I been able to spend time with family uh loved ones have i developed myself as a human being um those are the more important metrics than than purely business i think from a from a business perspective i don't i, I don't i've not actually set myself a goal from like a from a from like a, a 10 a 10 year goal for instance I just, I just i really actually haven't done that it's a case of building 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 um but there's lots of big there's lots of big things that I'd like to bite off. There's there's industries that I there's industries that I see that are broken, and there's products that I see that are broken. Um, you know, for for instance, what it, it, I spend a lot of time traveling. The the hotel booking industry is um, something which has sort of piqued my interest a little bit uh, recently. I'll you know I'll tell you a story. So just so you look at Booking dot com. Of course, I own ethicalbooking.com. But if you look at booking.com or if you look at Expedia or if you look at any of these big boys, let's look at booking.com. So formed in um, uh, Amsterdam, I believe, or certainly Netherlands in 1995, I think. You have to look this up. And so that was just when like, the internet was just starting. So sort of the things. They probably spent five or ten years flapping around, not knowing what the hell was going on or I don't know. They're, they're now doing $20, 20 billion uh, revenue a year. Now, the interesting part is not that they're doing twenty billion dollars revenue a year. The the interesting part is that they're doing five billion net profit on that. Now, which is a huge amount. That's colossal. Um, uh, this is for a company which, let's say, have only been around for twenty years. Let's assume they spent eight years flapping around. I've not looked at the numbers. I'm making some guesses. Um, and there's 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 uh, there might be ten of these types of company of the top of the top grossing. Now, what they do as well is they charge the hoteliers, I believe, maybe someone watched this and correct me, I don't know. Uh, but it's it's around the 20% mark that they're charging them, which is a huge amount. And so what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a company that loads of people are using, which is probably like a bit of a benchmark in the industry in terms of what's netting at the end of the revenue. Charging a huge amount for the people that are, um, could be small B&Bs, they might be family run, they might also be big hotels. And they're making a huge amount of profit. That's a colossal amount of net profit to make. And I just think there's a way of doing it better, much like, you know, with the marketplace that I'm building. And you find it's a finding the right uh, type of like-minded people, whereby, for instance, you had a, a, 
a selection of hand-picked hotels, which might be only equate to 10 or 20% in any particular geography that you went to, that were recommended via this app that charged the hotels or the B&Bs, whatever it might be, a much lower percentage, streamlined the building of the, of the tech uh, and uh, any of the ops behind the scenes. You can always do it way cheaper. If you're designing it from scratch, you can do stuff better than if you're pegging things on. Um, and use a huge portion of the profits of what would be in that company for uh, sustainable tourism or regeneration of areas in places that um, need a little bit of help and don't have a lot of money filtered through to them in ways that you that you might like. Um, you know, there's lots of beautiful, beautiful, lots of beautiful places all over the world, but there are some some of them are that they're, they're often um, you know, damaged, not mistreated. Yeah, they're damaged. They're, 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 they're damaged, and it, it you know for over 15 years I've been traveling around over maybe 20 yeah I mean nearly 20 years I've been traveling around all over the place over 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 the the course of you know not always in the sorts of ways that I do now but I've seen the pace of change and the destruction in lots and lots and lots of different places due to mass tourism and um the airlines aren't taking accountability for it the hotels sometimes are sometimes aren't sometimes tour tour operators are or if uh, for instance if you know if you were scuba diving then the scuba shop might uh, put some money towards um a regeneration of corals or whatever it might be but t typically speaking there's, there's there's not enough accountability in there and it's just any any industry I, I see where i'm like there's loads of money in that and it's not quite being done right and there's an opportunity to if, if there's a super normal amount of money being made it means that you've got more to give so if you do it better and then you can give some of this money back to people that people that need it more than than you might need it yourself right that's what life is that is literally gets, like that's what we're be doing it gets your business mind firing in line with the values that you've got and then you set off on the mission to do it and i think that's a that's an exciting place to be in uh, like you, you said you, you sleep soundly but it also will be a driver throughout the day in terms of look i'm i'm working on this i really care about this let's go and i think that's a great position for for anyone in their life to get towards George, uh, james and I, I really when i think about that i just think like i can see why you're fired up i love it it's just there's so much opportunity and the thing, things are changing so quickly there's a hell of a lot of uh, more enable enablement through technology now than there ever used to be before um so bringing ideas into uh it's realization, particularly in sort of scalable tech, tech solutions, is super easy, right? Um, physical product businesses are, are really quite tricky compared, and I love physical product businesses, but they're really quite tricky compared to to other things. So, um, yeah, no, we'll, 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 yeah, we'll see. But I've got a list as long as your arm of stuff that I'd love to um, of stuff that I'd love to do. But it's having the time, and not just having the time; it's having the the financial resources and the mental space. To be able to execute upon them which means building a, pr a proper team that's embedded and trusted and everyone knows what they're doing so things are at a point where i don't need to be have my head in them all the time um and it takes time it takes time and it's bloody hard building businesses when it's constant recession whatever they're, whatever they're calling it these days understood entirely james and i've loved hearing about it i'm sure we're going to get the opportunity to chat again in future hopefully in person next time if people want to continue the conversation with you where should they head towards uh go to linkedin type in james higgins ethical bedding you can message me on there 
and I, I will certainly reply to you on there. If you can find me on, on Instagram, but rather embarrassingly, I'm not quite sure how it works yet still. Um, so my tag or whatever it's called is uh, in bed with James. So you can get, get in touch with me or email me, james at ethicalbedding.com. You'll find a way. I'll put all three of those in the show notes, James. James, thank you so much to you and thank you to you, the listener. I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.